Every single time I hear that intro just makes me want to jam. But welcome back. Hey, everybody. Got a fun episode for you guys today. We're going to be talking about a theme that's been playing out in, I feel like, our lives over the past month or so, even longer. But it's now forming into the words that I wasn't able to like put them to, which is being, being salt and what that means and the impacts that has on the people around you. And it kind of stemmed from last episode. I talked about my son's birthday and when I wrote that Facebook post of, you know, he's becoming more like me, but is he becoming more like Jesus? And the conviction that I had from that moment um, stemmed into this conversation with Adrian talking about being salt and, and how that plays out in relationship every single day. And so that's what we're going to talk about. How to be salt and what it does, what it means, what it should mean in relationship. I'm thinking of a quote and I'm off going on a tangent because I can't remember where I saw the quote. It's, uh, man, I can't remember it. It has to do with salt. Oh. It's it's on topic. I'm not, I'm not shooting us on a, on a tangent yeah. right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's related. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that the thing that, that happens when you think about salt. So I'll give you some context. I had a, an interaction with a, with an individual at our church last week. Um, I was telling Adrian, you know, I, most of the time I'll be in the booth doing audio and, you know, occasionally I'll get to play keys and, and, uh, and play with the worship team. But I'd say the majority of the, the things that I do for the church in terms of serving is being in the audio booth and doing audio. Well, I had this individual come up to me and, um, after service and, uh, you know, just basically pour into me. And I've never had an interaction with this individual before. But one of the things that he said before we ended our conversation was that he's like, man, just looking at you, like I can see you're a good person and you just have great character. And my automatic thought was, but how do you know that? Like first, like what about me sitting in the booth, you know, in the back is showing any sort of, character, you know, cause I'm not doing anything other than just focused on, you know, the technical stuff that needs to happen during, during service. Um, but what I'm realizing is that it's not about what I look like. It's the things that are, that I am living out on a daily that is coming out of me. And Adrian called it out, you know, when we are, which I love, he always says this, when the word becomes flesh, when we, start to, when we start to behave and act in the ways of Jesus, people see it. Yeah, I think when, when um, when our character starts changing and our behavior is no longer... Um, an active choice 
I mean, I, I get that we make choices, but when our behavior starts to become so affected and influenced and informed by Jesus and by God's word, when our behavior is affected sufficiently, we, we just behave different. We, we do things differently. We see people differently. We speak differently. We engage differently. Um, not because it's on a list anywhere, not because it's, it's something that we're supposed to do, but because our very character is being changed. And, um, yeah, we were we were talking about uh, this book that I'm reading about charisma. It's called the Charisma Myth, and it was interesting because this author is is talking about you know um, kind of analyzing and um, quantifying all these little micro gestures and behaviors and physical traits of of people that are charismatic and that are engaging and that draw others and to them. And the author, you know, asserts like. Yeah, they do things a certain way. They stand a certain way. They talk a certain way. They, their facial expressions, you know, communicate something. And they, they're all these like. She goes down this list of countless, really, little behaviors and gestures and characteristics. And then she asserts that well, you could try to mimic all of those things. Once you know what they are, you could work really hard to try to mimic all those things to to be you know, more charismatic, but there's so many of them that it's, it's going to be nearly impossible to actively think about all of those things. And then the assertion is, well, if you change a person's emotional state or what's going on in their heart, all those things follow. And I kind of, I was thinking about God's word and how it changes us. Like the difference between the law and the spirit of the law. Like I think us trying to adhere to the law is us, trying to actively think about all the countless little things that we have to do and not do. Don't do this, do this, don't do that, do that, don't do that. And it's exhausting. But if the state of our heart has changed, if we've allowed you know, God's word to change us and our relationship with him to change us, then the natural outcropping of that is a character and a life that that's different, that feels different, that looks different. I just, if, if my heart is, is being changed by Jesus, then how I see people changes. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking, oh, I know Jesus now. Oh, I'm going to look at people different. I just, you just start to look at, you see people differently because you're, you're being formed and shaped to, to be more like him. And I think it's really easy for us to look for checklists to go down um, to try to, to affect the change that way. And I know we need to be intentional, but I think ultimately when our heart changes, then we start, you know, things start changing out of that. And then we start becoming more like, like, like salt. You're, you're in a setting because salt is never the main course. Mm. Salt Salt seasons a meal. Salt makes a meal more vibrant, more lively. It accentuates those things, those good things that are in the ingredients. And um, it brings out, you know, those, those amazing flavors out of the ingredients. And I think when we're like salt, we can enter a room and I think if we're being like salt, 
things should feel different in that room. Yeah. But I think sometimes we're not satisfied with being salt. We're trying to be the cook. We're trying to be the chef. We're trying to orchestrate the entire meal. We're trying to do all this stuff. And, and, and I feel from my conviction is often God's just saying, I, I just, I just want you to do this one thing. I, I've got the rest under control. Just, just do this thing and let me worry about the rest. Yeah. You make disciples. I'll build the church. So good. Like, just do this thing. And I think one of the things we talked about last week was one of those things is, is sometimes, you know, we're trying to reach communities and uh, we get really ambitious. It's like, oh, we need to reach young people. We need to reach singles. We need to reach professionals. We need to reach the marketplace. We need to reach couples and married couples and we need to reach seniors and we need to reach all these groups. Well, how about we start by reaching the person in front of us? Like when you walk into church, is there a young person in front of you? Are you, are you, are you being salt and light to that young person standing in front of you? Are you being salt and light to that senior that's, that's standing right in front of you? Um, are you engaging, like, is your heart in such a posture that when you engage them and you walk away from that conversation, they feel different. And that's the thing, you know, I, I love, Paul and I talk about this, and one of the things we talk about a lot is, you know, we pray that even as people would see us, that they would feel Jesus. So good. And I think that's what, that's what it likes. That's what it's like to be to be salt. Like, you eat a meal, and often you're you're not thinking about actively thinking about the salt. Mm-hmm. But I promise you, you know if it's not there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's like man, so, something's some missing from this meal. Food. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is bland. Is there, is there some mayonnaise in this? And some peas. Oh, mayonnaise and peas. <laughs> There's a story behind that, people. There's a story behind that. Yeah, you know, I think I was thinking about how many times that I've disagreed with like corporate America and the way that they use this idea. You know, I think about, you know, diversity and inclusion initiatives and values, like company values and how, and I wrote an article about this um, last month on my Medium page, but there's, I think it's, when you lose vision of, of being salt, it becomes transactional. And then relationship just kind of falls into the cracks because you haven't done enough to impact change in people. And I think about all the times that I've had conversations with leaders in my past, you know, um, in my career, where the idea was you need to become more like salt in our environment and I always had this like opposition towards it. Cause I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to change me for, you know, this company or I'm not going to do you know, whatever it is, you know, live by this value because you tell me to. And it, it feels so, it feels fake. It feels like you're forcing it. And I think one of the things that you called out was, you know, if it's, if it's ingrained in us, if it's a part of our character and heart and it's natural right? It's what you, what you just said, like, let them see us, but feel Jesus, mm-hmm. you know? Um, then it's just an act. I was thinking about the other day or maybe a couple of weeks ago, 
I was uh, at a friend's house and we were talking about a local church here in Liberty Hill. And they were saying like, yeah, it's a, it's a, they moved into a new building and they've got like eight services on Sunday. And I was like, eight services for what? (laughs) I was like, this is crazy. And they couldn't even answer it because they were like, I I don't know. And I was like, are there that many people that go there? And they're like, I don't know. And I was like, have you been there? And they're like, no, we heard it's all right. And I'm like, what's the purpose of having eight services for? Like, what are you trying to do? What kind of marketing scheme is this? <laughs> trying to, if we add more services, we'll get more people and they'll feel impacted by listening to us on the pulpit. So much there. Yeah. You, so many threads. I don't, I don't even, I'm just, I don't <laughs> choose even, one I don't, of I don't, a million. Oh my the most profound impact I think the church is ever going to have on culture and society is going to be evidenced by what's happening outside of the church, not inside it. Mm. Preach it. The quote I was trying to look up earlier that's got me distracted and kind of, I I keep trying to find it. I think it was a quote by Dallas Willard and there, there was some survey. This was, I think back in 2014. Um, It was a Gallup poll survey. So it was a secular survey. It wasn't Barna or some Christian group. It, It was, a secular survey. And I think that the survey was something like um, a poll was taken and they called people and asked, do you have a, they asked people, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And I, I don't remember the numbers and I, I never fact checked it, but the, the number was something like 25% of the people polled and they extrapolated that to, you know, the size of the country, which is close to 400 million people. And what I thought was interesting is, I think it was Dallas Willard or John Ortberg, one of these two. One of the things they, they said that I thought was so interesting is, um, yeah, let's say it's 25% of the people in the country have a personal relationship with Jesus. And his assertion was, surely a quarter pound of salt is enough to season a pound of meat. I've heard you say that before, and that's good. And I thought about it, and it's like the most profound impact we're going to have as believers is going to happen between Sundays, not on Sundays. Uh You know, and yet Uh we're, we're trying to funnel, you know, into these bigger and bigger and bigger organizations. Well, I have a question for, for the modern evangelical church. How big is big enough? How big is big enough? And why is that what we're measuring? You know, I, I think the, the greater thing, the, the more significant thing to measure is the impact we're having on society. And are we having a greater, more significant impact on culture and society? Because if we're not, then we're measuring the wrong thing. Because that, that's, that's ultimately, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road. And, you know, going back to salt, salt doesn't work well in a pile. Dude, the only thing I can think about right now is that's the, the separation between a Pharisee and a follower of Jesus. I, I just know in my personal walk, More often than not, 
I need Jesus when I'm not in church more than when I'm in church. Amen. <laughs> and and I think that holds true for, for everyone. For everyone, you yeah. know. Um, and hey, I, I get Hebrews. I'm not saying you know, do not forsake the gathering of the saints this summer because no, no, I get, I get that, I get it. But the point is. That, that's to, to unify us and to feed us and to minister to us and to pour into us so that we can pour out between Sundays. Mm-hmm. But if we keep trying to, to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, okay, to, to what end? Um, to what end? Mm. And are we measuring the, the effectiveness? Well, even the measuring thing, let's go back to, man. I don't know what happened. My filters are broken today. Yes. The, uh, was it, was it Samuel or David that was tested to take a census? It said God tested him to take a census. Mm-hmm. And it says, the word says it was a test. And well, he, he took a census and he was proud. And it said that God was angered. And And what I seem to remember was, God's saying something like, you count what belongs to you. Those people don't belong to you. Oh, yeah. Now, there's somewhere else that I see counting being really important. There's somewhere else I see metrics and measurements and counting year over year and quarter over quarter over quarter, and that's in the the business marketplace. If you're a publicly traded, you know, company, you live and die by quarterly earnings reports. Yep. And I think what's happened is, you know, that is that mentality, that spirit has kind of crept in to how we guide and direct Run church. our churches. Yep. You know, it's it's all about growth in numbers and not always growth in in our our spirituality and our, our, our connection. And I don't mean spirituality like woo-woo, generic. No, I mean in our in our relationship with Jesus, just to be clear. Yeah. I'm not that generic spirit. No, no. In our spiritual walk with Jesus. And I love, you know, I think it'll forever stick with me because I think it was inspired and I think the Holy Spirit put it on Ross's heart when he shared it, that both the method and measure of spiritual maturity is relationship. 100%. How are your relationships doing? You know, the thing that I think about right now is the, the number one, I don't even know the term to use, like fallacy or unfortunate thing that happens when business mentality creeps into anything relationship-based is you start devaluing people. Well, what happens is transaction creeps in. Yeah, 100%. And things become transactional and we, we've talked about this in the, in the podcast before, um, healthy, life-giving relationships are transformational, not transactional. Yep. Yep. Because but, when you're not performing, you're out. Yeah. But transformation is, it's messy. It's hard to measure. Mm-hmm. You know it when you see it, but it's hard to, to put metrics on it. Um, it's hard to measure. Walking with somebody is is tough. 
being walked with is tough. You know, that spiritual transformation, experiencing growth and and growing into who Christ created you to be and, and walking with others through that process, that is not something you measure. No. It's something you experience. I had a conversation with a friend of mine um, last week. I had sent him a, a video of this, or he had, actually, no, he had sent me a video of this pastor talking about um, doing life with people. And I responded to that video with like, this is what discipleship looks like, walking with people. And he's always had like this, I don't think he has a hard time understanding what it means to walk with people, but he's always he's always had a rebuttal with it. And not in the sense that he disagrees, but I think from a, from a biblical perspective, he's like, what does that mean, right? Because I think there's, there's a, there, there is a fine line. You can over-spiritualize something and then, you know, you can walk with somebody because, well, you know, that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. But what I was trying to impart in him was understanding the deeper meaning and purpose of discipleship, of walking with somebody and what that means. And, um, and you know, we've, we, we came down to a, a section of the conversation where, you're talking about the word. And my response to him was like, well, yeah, the, the word is great, but the Pharisees knew the word really well. And we can go around spewing the word and being on Facebook and being Facebook warriors for the church and putting up comments. And, and one of his responses to that was like, you know, I've done that. And I've noticed that I don't get feedback. People don't like it or people don't respond. And I was like, because, and my response to him was like, because we're supposed to be walking with each other, not throwing the word at each other. And yes, the word is, is important. It's, it's what guides us in our relationship, but it's not meant to be used at the top of a hill. And I'm not saying that, you know, there's preachers out there that shouldn't be doing that, right? Like John was setting up the road for Jesus when he was, you know, out there preaching and baptizing people. Um, so don't get me wrong when I say that, but at the same time, Jesus created the blueprint for what discipleship and walking with somebody looks like. Yeah, I think about. Um, I've I've gotten into hiking the last several months, so I've been hiking a lot. And as I go on these hikes, man, God just seems to speak. There's like so many instances where. I'm going out on a Saturday morning and doing this five mile hike. And I just, I'll see things. I'm like, God, you're so good. You're so like, and sometimes there was one, I sent you a picture. There was like all these rocks and just so many things. Like there was that one, that one instance where I was going down this particular part of the path that was very rocky. If I was to fall down, I would really hurt myself. And I remember looking at that and just feeling impressed on my heart. It's like, yeah, when everything gets really precarious and scary, it's probably a good idea to slow down. Slow down and be mindful of your steps. I thought, okay, wow. But thinking more about wilderness and hiking and walking with people. You know, if, if, if I threw you out into the wilderness in Colorado or Montana or Wyoming or somewhere like that where you have to go, you know, from point A to point B, would you feel 
better if I said, hey man, um, here's a map, go with God. You've got a, a 25 mile hike to go through the wilderness. Here's a piece of paper. Good luck. Or would you feel better if I said, hey man, this is Mike. He's a guide. He knows this, this country really well. And he's done this hike. I'm going to send him with you to be your guide. What would you prefer? Oh boy, Mike, let's go, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. And I think that's the difference between walking with people. And I think sometimes giving them the map, that's us spitting the word at people like, Hey, there's a Bible. Go, go do it. But not being willing to walk with them. Oh dude. And that doesn't lessen the power of the word, but we're also not living out the power of the word. We're like, Hey, there's, there's a Bible. Go figure life out. Last night. So I have this, I've been doing this uh, group with our church um, where, you know, I started a workout group and I was sharing with the, with the people there yesterday. I saw this video clip of this pastor or some kid. He's pretty young. Maybe he's a youth pastor, but he was like, God gave us the blueprint on how to deal with temptation said, and what Jesus did was he quoted scripture. And then he said, I rebuke you, Satan, flee from me. And that was, so my response was like, you know, it's, it's easier said than done to just quote scripture at something and then rebuke it and feel like it's gone away. And like, wait till you're in the moment where you're needing that thing because it's become a part of you when you're alone. How difficult is that going to be? And someone in the group responded, well, that's why you need community. I almost did a lap around my, <laughs> my neighborhood because I was like, yes, she got it, yes. And that's, that's exactly what I've been trying to communicate to, to people when I talk about discipleship and, and walking out with people. It's not about, like, yes, we all can read the word, but we need our Aaron and hers. We need people to be with us, to encourage us, to, to tell us it's going to be okay because the Lord said it's going to be okay. Yeah, we need others in our lives and we also need to be willing to walk with others. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just walk and be present and not say anything. Because there's, there are moments where there's nothing we can say that is going to make the situation any better. Yep. Beyond our presence. Our presence is comfort enough, is response enough. Um, and sometimes we just have to be willing to be present and listen. Yeah. And again, that's, that's being salt. Yeah, it would be naive of us to think that we have all the answers. And there have been many moments where I have been walking with somebody recently and things that I didn't expect to happen happened and I'm, I don't even know what to say. I'm just like, I don't know. But Jesus, let's bring Jesus into this. And that's it. Like I can't, I, I'm the only thing, my only response is that sucks. I don't know what to tell you right now. 
and I love you and I'm here. Like, if you just want to sit here, let's sit here. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I think there's a power in just being willing to sit with someone. I know there have been moments in my life where that was very, very impactful. I've had people in my life who were just willing to sit while I ranted, mm. while I shook my fist at the heavens and questioned God and said, why, why, why? And there, God brought somebody into my life who just sat there and patiently acted as God's representative, his presence. And when I was done yelling at the sky, that person was still there. Yeah. For me to this day, that person was still there as a reminder that God is still there. He's like, I'm still here. Yeah. I haven't gone anywhere. And sometimes having that person in your life, that's that. Sometimes they will be the physical reminder. Sometimes you will be the physical embodiment of God's presence as a reminder in somebody's life. And are we willing to do that? Because sometimes, I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes you're in a situation where when you run out of answers, you run out. Mm. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like when you when you can no longer be the answer guy, you run out of answers and you run out. No words. Absolutely. Yeah, because what <laughs> I have I have been in those situations. Then you end up putting your foot in your mouth. <laughs> oh, then we start then we start trying to trying to be clever and come up with answers. <laughs> we start like trying to use logic or rhetoric or just try to come up with some way. To, to use logic or reason yep. um, to comfort somebody. Right. When no amount of logic or reason is going to bring comfort <laughs> to people in certain situations. There's this, there's a, there was a clip, uh, like this audio clip going around Instagram a few months ago. And it's like this Latino. I don't, you could tell he's like from, uh, he's probably from like Puerto Rico, Cuba, that, that region. But he's talking about like, have you ever seen two birds fighting? And then he like just jumps over to, and then a car drives under a tree. And like, he just says these most random <laughs> things. And I just think about that. Like, and, and it's always supposed to be like, it starts off and it sounds like really profound. And like, yeah, yeah. I've seen two birds fighting over, you know, a worm or something. And then he jumps over to this thing. And then like, you're like, what? I, What? Like you could almost hear the record scratch. Bro, yeah. Like, what, what is this fool talking about? Even your brain is like knocking, like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, well, we got to try hard not to be that guy. A hundred percent. Yes, yes. Oh, man. I don't want to be that guy. I do not want to be that guy. That is not Jesus. That is not Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I had a thought about... Um, the original topic. 
Well, in business, but I, I completely forgot it. Salt. Salt. What's interesting, I'm thinking about like people that I haven't talked to in a while. And uh, this makes me want to go and check in on them. Because I haven't checked in on them. Um, yeah. I don't know why. I'm just thinking, I'm reflecting on people. People keep coming in my mind. Reach out to them when they do. When those things yeah. happen, like, hey, they popped in for a read. Like, you put that down. Put, put the name down. Like, who is it? Okay, I'm going to reach out to them. Reach out to them. I'm going to reach out to them because we never, we never know um, why those people are on our hearts. And sometimes, you know, the Holy Spirit, God's putting them on our heart for a reason. Yeah, thinking about salt, um, it changes whatever it's added to. It, it it enhances it. So how are we being salt and light in the lives of, of those around us? It's interesting when you think about what light does to somebody. And I think about the things that you've said in the past, and I can't remember how you say it, but you talked about... When God looks at us. Oh, yeah. The, um, what scripture I, is that? I think it's Psalm 16 and 11. I think it's 16 and 11 or 116. I'm going to look it up right now. Um, Psalm 16 and 11. Um, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Or I'm reading the NIV. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And one of the, I think it's King James, one of the versions says, uh, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And that always makes me think, you know, I read that that book, um, The Other Half of Church by Michael Hendricks and I um, can't remember the other author, Jim Wilder. And they, they said that, um, they asserted that in the Hebrew, it wasn't that presence was actually his face. It was translated as presence, but it was like face. So the way it could be, said what they asserted was in the light of his face, there's fullness of joy. And yeah, what I've, what I've shared before is that one of the ways that we can bear his image and reflect the image of God is, is by looking at others the way that he looks at us. There's something so incredibly powerful about looking at someone knowing that they have value and worth mm. and knowing Something. that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Because when you look at someone through the lens of that truth, I truly believe that they feel it mm -hmm. the same way that when, when I feel the light of his face, I feel that's life giving mm -hmm. just like a father looks at a, a son or a daughter they look at their child looking with, you know, you're looking at them in awe and wonder of this thing, this person, this creation that is full of so much potential and so much life and so much that has a destiny, that has a purpose. When you look at 
Owen or you look at Riley, you look at your kids and you look at them like that. They sense that. Mm-hmm. And it, it causes things in them to engage and, and, and causes things emotionally and psychologically and spiritually to start engaging in such a way that those things start coming out of them. Yeah. So simply by the way that you look, and that's being salt too, because what does salt do to food? It enhances it. Mm-hmm. It brings out the, the the amazing flavors of the ingredients. Well, guess what? When you look at someone, knowing that they are fearfully, wonderfully made, knowing that he knitted their innermost parts, knowing that they are a works of art that bear his brushstrokes and fingerprints on their person. When you look at someone through the lens of those truths, just like salt brings out flavor out of food, that brings something out of them. Yeah. Just like light brings forth life out of, out of plants and causes plants to, to open up, causes photosynthesis to happen and causes life to happen. Yeah. When we bear his image and we look at people like that, um, it causes things to engage. And sometimes you see it right away and sometimes you don't. But on the receiving end, when someone looks at me, like I have inherent value and worth, I feel it. I feel this this giddiness, and I almost want to, I almost want to weep with joy because they're looking at me in such a way that is reminding me that I am His child. I am fearfully, wonderfully made. I am His work of art. And I think just walking in that truth, knowing we have the ability. To, to do that with every single person we interact with. Yeah. You know, I think it needs to be coupled. The way I was thinking about salt and light, <clears throat> in order for you to be salt, you've got to be able to look at people first. You've got to be able to see them. Right. Like, and that, that prayer, Paul and I are praying all the time. Jesus, let us, when we look at others, let us see what you see so that we might be compelled to love the way that you love. That's it. That's it. So, <laughs> and that, that applies to everybody. Yeah. Not just people that are in the same station of life as me. Not just people that are, you know, uh, newlyweds or marrieds or young families or seniors or young. It's like, no, man, do you see everybody like this? Because when God word, God's word says, says that he knitted their innermost parts and they're fearfully, wonderfully made, guess what? That applies to every single person, not just your age bracket, mm-hmm. not, yep. not just your demographic. Like that applies to everyone he's created. Yep. Can you imagine if, if, um, if all of us did that? Like, imagine the different, different connections. I remember reading um, Ross's book, Messy Church, and reading about the importance of intergener- intergenerational connections. Um. And how it's so important for the the seasoned saints and believers to speak into the lives of the young people and for young people to honor the, the older people. Because young people have the passion and energy mm. that older people don't. And mm. as you get older, you know, you you don't have as much gas in the tank. You don't have the passion and energy, yeah. but you have wisdom and experience. So you put those two things together and that's really powerful. Mm. But I think often that thing that we just talked about, seeing each other, 
looking like seeing each other like through the lens of of Jesus mm-hmm. I think often that doesn't always happen no nope. like but imagine if that happened across all those differences across different stations stations of life across different demographics against across different age groups if when you look at each other you see the inherent worth and value and beauty and wonder that is that lies in the person in front of you imagine how that would make an older person feel if you had a young person come to them look at them and and look at them with a sense of wonder and awe yeah how do you think that older person would feel yeah. it'll bring them to life and vice versa a young person who's figuring out who they are when you have an older person looking into them with eyes that say I know who you are. Well, You're a child of the king. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Like those things are life-giving. That's just how you see people. Well, that's why the, that's the study of um, older generations that have grandchildren, they live longer. I think it's because of that. The, the children see them when all these older people don't get seen often. You know, I told Adrian this, um, as, as I've been on this journey over the past like month of saying less, doing more, that purpose is being salt. That is the true essence of living it out is, and, and I, and I think about this, like walking out my door is an opportunity for me to be salt with people. And it doesn't matter whether they are Christian or not in that opportunity of sprinkling a little seasoning on their life and now thinking about it from the light perspective looking up and seeing them so that you can be salt impactful so what if that is the thing that we try to do like even this next week yeah like treat every interaction as an opportunity and i don't mean be weird Maybe maybe do it this way. Maybe pray about it and talk with Jesus about it and say, Lord, Lord, give me eyes to see what you see with every single person that you place before me. Just pray that prayer and then let it set and let him work on your heart through that prayer. I won't even say make it a checklist like go do this this week no 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 start from the source yeah yes start from the source like jesus let me see what you see when i see others let me see what you see that my heart might be moved to love them as you love them Mm -hmm. sincerely pray that prayer and just sit in that prayer and then just wait on what he'll do, wait for it, in you. Mm. Not in them, but just wait. Wait on what he's going to do in your heart. Because I believe he will honor that prayer and he will, he will affect the shape of our heart, the posture of our heart, if we pray that prayer sincerely. All right, guys. Go be salt. Amen. We love you.
And uh, we'll see you next week. See you all next week. Later. <laughs>